Hey, just a heads up, my new book, Reframing Rich, Creating Better Relationships with Your Money, Yourself, and Others, is now available for sale on Amazon.com, and thanks to great people like you, has hit the bestsellers list. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Thin Weekly, where I provide weekly updates on what's happening in the economy and the world of finance. My name is Steve Coffrin, and today is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, and like every week, we have a ton of stuff to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Kicking off the week, the US dollar encountered challenges in the Asian market due to actions taken by major central banks and experts in the region. Let's take a look at the details. After eight strong weeks of demonstrated strength, fueled by robust U.S. economic data, people were expecting to see sustained higher interest rates by the Federal Reserve. Remember folks, the U.S. dollar had appreciated by approximately 5% since mid-July, but the divergence in monetary policies between the U.S., China, and Japan had placed substantial pressure on Asian currencies. The yen depreciated by roughly 7% against the U.S. dollar since mid-July, while the onshore yuan reached a 16-year low against the dollar in the same time frame. In response to this drop, China defended the yuan by issuing a stern verbal warning shortly after setting its daily reference rate. While Japan hinted they might be around the corner from terminating their negative interest rate policy. Now to recap, if the US dollar gets weaker, it can make American stuff cheaper to other countries, which might help US businesses sell more abroad but it can also make things more expensive for people in the United States, leading to higher inflation and affecting what people can't afford to buy. When big banks like the ones in China and Japan talk about changing their rules, it can make investors worried and affect how much it costs for people and companies to borrow money. So what's the financial forecast here? Is the weakening dollar transitory? How will the rest of the global market respond? And how will this affect consumers? Truthfully, I don't have all the answers, but remember that all these things are connected globally. So changes in one place can have a big impact on businesses and people all over the world. It's important for policymakers and investors like you to keep an eye on these changes to make smart decisions. Moving on, the US is showing resilience while China is navigating economic uncertainties, both of which have implications for the global economy and financial markets. With that in mind, let's move on to a recent statement from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, which reflected her growing confidence in the US economy. Specifically, Yellen said she was, quote, feeling good about the ability of the United States to curb inflation without significant job market disruptions citing recent data that showed a steady slowdown in inflation and an increase in job seekers. Further, she iterated that the U.S. appears to be on track to strike that balance between taming consumer price increases and sustained economic growth. Now, she's not wrong. Inflation has eased to around 3%, but remember that 3% doesn't account for energy and food inflation. So albeit this is still above the Federal Reserve's 2% target, without significantly affecting employment or GDP. Notably also, Goldman Sachs economists have lowered the probability of a U.S. recession from 20% to 15% in light of these positive economic indicators. Conversely, like I mentioned earlier, China has been facing challenges with the latest figures hinting at a potential growth below its 5% target. 
On the other hand, Yellen acknowledged that China's currency has depreciated against the dollar due to diverging economic data, signaling that measures to stabilize the currency are reasonable to bolster confidence in the economy and financial system. As far as the recent efforts to expand the BRICS group, the truth is that different countries have different interests in this assembly, and the U.S. still maintains its own international relations when it comes to stabilizing the global markets. So don't let this be something that stirs up concern just yet. Right now, the U.S. needs to focus on the annual federal appropriation bills. What you should know is that despite rising interest costs contributing to a widening budget deficit, Yellen maintained that she is confident in the sustainability of the country's federal finances. Now, I want to be honest and transparent with you all here. In line with what Yellen has been saying about the state of the state's financial forecast, it's important to acknowledge the role of consumers when it comes to the U.S. economic growth and overall GDP. Remember, almost 70% of our GDP comes from consumers, and there's been a lot of discussion about if and how things are going to change. So let's take a look at what's been discussed and what the next few months might look like. While the job market has been doing well and has helped sustain consumer spending despite rising prices, there are some signs of trouble ahead. According to researchers at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, the extra savings that have been helping consumers cope with higher costs might run out soon, possibly in the current quarter. While wealthier Americans have been able to handle the rising prices, lower income households have been struggling, mainly due to inflation. And as prices keep going up, it's getting tougher for consumers to keep up. In this post-pandemic economic environment, the usual economic playbooks don't always apply. And things are definitely taking longer to unfold as the Fed tries to adjust their sales, metaphorically speaking, to avoid a recession storm. I'm not saying we're doomed, but the reality is that consumer spending is a significant factor in keeping the economy growing. If it slows down, it could have a negative impact on the stock market, which has already been experiencing some ups and downs. The positive economic environment we've seen lately with lower inflation and fewer people out of work has been boosting optimism in the stock market. Hopes for a soft landing where the economy cools off without going into a recession have been encouraged by things like stabilizing interest rates, a strong US dollar, and steady oil prices. However, if confidence in these scenarios fades, it could spell trouble for stocks. All right, let's talk about artificial intelligence. Can artificial intelligence replace our workforce? The short answer is no. But more American workers, especially those with college degrees, are worried that technology might take away their jobs. A Gallup survey from almost 500 full-time and part-time employed adults found that 22% of U.S. workers feared that their jobs could be replaced by technology, which perhaps unsurprisingly is up from 15% two years ago. It's worth noting that amongst workers without college degrees, concerns really haven't changed much. But with technological advances, including the rise of multiple AI platforms, college-educated workers are starting to get a little weary of how automation could affect how they do their jobs. McKinsey, a consulting firm, estimates that around 70% of global work hours are spent on tasks that could be done by computers, up from about half a few years ago. But Gallup's data shows that less than one in four workers thinks this will happen soon. So exactly what is there to be worried about here? While fears about technology taking jobs have increased, 
Other work-related concerns like cuts to wages, hours, or benefits have stayed about the same since 2021. This means that a lot of folks are still confident in the job market. And I think it's important to consider how potential replacements could shift the labor markets. In short, yes, technology does pose some risk to employment stability, but I encourage you to think about what you can do to adapt to these changing times. My advice, invest whatever you can in yourself. For example, acquire new skills that help you to remain competitive in an ever-evolving job landscape. And if you are the business owner, this is a sure sign to take the initiative and support your workforce. Whether that's training or reskilling to mitigate the adverse effects of job displacements, you have the capability to ensure long-term economic resilience. But here's another thing that I want to point out. When it comes to artificial intelligence, I think for most people, they don't have to worry about AI taking over their jobs. But here's the thing. People who use AI okay, will replace those who don't use AI. So I think AI can supplement somebody's skill set and make them even more valuable in the workforce. For example, in accounting and finance, if you can leverage AI and use the power of this technology to build better financial models, to take care of the transactional side of the business, so then you can free yourself up for financial planning and analysis and strategy work, you're gonna be much more valuable than somebody who doesn't utilize these technologies at all in their job. So that's really what I'm talking about here. It doesn't matter what industry you're in or what function you find yourself, using AI or getting really comfortable with technology so you can make your job more efficient will just make you more valuable. And also when it comes to building your skill sets, okay, you're gonna get so tired of me saying this over and over again, but I am so bullish on people understanding financials, like how to read financial statements. When it comes to business, and I just did an exercise with a team yesterday, it's all about free cash flow. So if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you can't compute super quick without looking at any textbooks or cheat sheets or using the internet, if you can't go from revenue all the way down to free cash flow, if you can't follow the steps and the different line items that get you down there, then you're missing out because in business, you have to understand how to compute free cash flow, what it actually means, and how you can leverage the drivers of free cash flow to drive greater value. So that is so important. That's what I'm a huge advocate for is teaching people the language of money so ultimately they can understand how free cash flow works because everything's driven by free cash flow. If you want to invest in the stock market, if you want to start a business, if you want to invest in some other type of financial asset, you have to understand the free cash flow that those things will spin off. So if you don't understand how free cash flow works, how to compute it, how to drive it, where to find it on financial statements, you're really missing out. You're really limiting yourself. That's why I have the three programs on the Boosting Your Financial IQ platform. First, there's Become Fluent in Business Finance. There's Launch a Profitable Business, and then there's Scale a Business Profitably. All these programs are designed to help you to understand how money works in business so you can be more successful. And look, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner right now. Maybe you're just in a leadership role, but it doesn't matter if you're in the marketing department or in the legal department or wherever you find yourself. Maybe you're just a student and you haven't even entered the workforce. Understanding these concepts are super critical.
Okay, you don't have to go through my programs to get the information, but you can keep listening to the podcast. You can find other sources out there, but I've just made it easy to fast track your way to this understanding so you can just skip all the garbage that's out there, all the noise, and you can just focus narrowly on exactly what you need to know. So those programs are available. Check them out on byfiq.com if you wanna learn more. Okay, moving on, that's enough about skills. I harp on these things all the time because look, I was there, I couldn't even read a financial statement when I started my first company. I didn't even know what a balance sheet or a statement of cash flows even was. So I made a lot of mistakes as a result of that. That's why I'm like, oh my gosh, if you can just learn these concepts, you're gonna be so much more successful in life. Like don't make the same mistakes that I made, get out there and build your financial intelligence. Okay, enough about that. Let's move on and talk about the auto industry. So next up, the United Auto Workers, the UAW, recently adjusted its pay raise demand from 40% to 36%, aiming to strike a deal with Detroit's major automakers, including General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. The latest proposal from the UAW outlines a series of incremental raises over the next five years, starting with an immediate 18% bump. The reason for these negotiations include adjustments for the increase in cost of living, shorter work weeks, and pension payment plans. The bad news is if an agreement isn't reached by the end of this week, we could be looking at several more weeks of strike in the automotive sector. And beyond that, the outcomes could have far-reaching implications, including impacting labor markets, inflation, and regional economies. Even a brief strike by the UAW could potentially cause billions in economic damage, reducing US GDP by as much as $5.6 billion, which would put areas like Michigan at risk of falling into a recession as per economic analysts. Such a strike would affect not only automakers, but also their suppliers, leading to layoffs and disruptions in critical commodity markets, particularly steel. Laborers should be entitled to a livable wage and with corporate profits booming over the last two decades, this doesn't sound unreasonable. But the possibility of wage gains resulting from the strike are feared to push up labor costs at the expense of innovation and broader economic growth. Ultimately, I believe there's a sweet spot whereby these companies could increase wages without jeopardizing their financial stability. But it's a game of give and take. Okay, last but not least, there is no place like home and for UK homeowners, they're starting to see that being able to say that comes at a price. Over the last 12 months, more and more people are struggling to make their mortgage payments thanks to unprecedented mortgage rates. Just how bad is it though? Over the past year leading up to June, the number of folks falling behind on their mortgage payments has increased by over 25% in the UK. Just in the second quarter, there was a 13% increase compared to the previous year. Now, breaking down the numbers, that's a staggering 16.9 billion pounds or 21.1 billion in late home loan payments, which is the highest level we've seen since 2016. Now, let's recap on why this is happening. Well, a lot of homeowners in the UK took out fixed rate mortgage deals, which sounds great, but it only means that they're shielded from interest rate increases until their fixed term ends. Once that deal is finished, they're hit with significantly higher monthly payments. And that's on top of dealing with soaring inflation in tight household budgets, which makes it even tougher to keep up with those mortgage bills. Now, on the downside, it signifies financial strain on households, making it harder for people to meet mortgage payments and potentially causing stress in market instability. 
But on the upside, overall, arrears remain relatively low due to post-financial crisis regulations, ensuring borrowers can handle rate increases. So while there are challenges, rest assured that there are also safeguards in place to prevent this from turning into a full-blown crisis. Okay, so that's a wrap for this week's Fin Weekly. I hope you are enjoying these episodes. If you have any comments or if you have any feedback, hit me up on social media. I know a lot of you will send me messages on Instagram or on LinkedIn. You can also connect with me at steve at byfiq.com or even better yet, you can connect with me in the community that is available for free to join if you go to byfiq.com. So if you want to join our financial community, go to byfiq.com. There's a button right there on the website where you could join for free. Click on that. It's super easy to sign up and then you'll be connected with like-minded peers and you'll have access to powerful information that will help you along your business financial intelligence journey. Okay, like I said, continue to invest in yourself. It makes me so happy to hear that so many people out there are listening to my podcast, which is so humbling in so many different ways. But also, I love talking with people in the community. And I'm just so excited to hear younger people getting involved in financial literacy. I also have other people across all different ages that are reaching out, that provide comments that I know are tuning into the podcast, and I think that's great. So there's a lot to be learned here. Trust me, if you understand how money works, you are going to have a better financial life, period. That's it, okay? It's, It's that simple. If you understand how money works, you're going to make better decisions. You're going to know how to invest. You're going to know how to increase that free cash flow, both personally and in your professional life. So make sure you do that because trust me, money isn't everything. I always say that it's not all about money, but knowing how it works and having enough in order for you to go out there and bless your life and the lives of others is super critical. And that's what I'm all about, helping you to use money as a vehicle to go out there and to do more good in the world. So there's a lot to look forward to. Look, this news doesn't scare me at all. Instead, it informs me and then it positions me to take advantage of opportunities that are right before my face. And hopefully you're doing the same thing. So I hope you have a great week. Please reach out, like I said, I'd love to hear from you. Connect in the community and check out the programs and resources that I've made available to you at byfiq.com. And until next time, Take care. Cheers. Hey, real quick. If you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.